There's no question a lot is at stake in this year's election at all levels of government. We here at the Topeka Capital Journal are doing our part to share the perspectives of those running for elected positions in Kansas. My name is India Yarbrough, and I'm a reporter for the Capital Journal. Over the next few weeks, leading up to the November 3rd general election, our reporters will be interviewing candidates running for local, state, and national offices. We'll be asking them questions about their platforms and priorities, and having conversations about what this year's election means to Kansans. We hope you enjoy listening to our Election 2020 podcast series. Welcome to the Topeka Capital Journal's election podcast, where we have candidates at the federal, state, and local levels on air to talk about issues important to Kansans. Today, we are with State Senator Anthony Hensley of the 19th Senatorial District. He is the Democratic incumbent running against Republican challenger Rick Kluse. Senator, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Um, So you are a veteran of Topeka, obviously the incumbent, but you, I believe, have been in the seat since 1992. Is that right? Uh, yes, that's right. And prior to that, I served uh, 16 years in the Kansas House of Representatives. I was actually first elected in 1976 at the age of 23. I just finished my first year teaching, and I decided to run for the Kansas House. And uh, I think on election night in 1976, the one person that was the most surprised that I won the election was my mother, because she kept saying, I can't believe you won. I can't believe you won. And I said, now get over it. I won. Uh, I won a Democratic primary against a Democratic incumbent. And uh, like I say, I spent 16 years in the House and then went over to the Senate. Uh, I took a um, uh, an appointment for an unexpired term because... My predecessor was Nancy Parrish, who is now a district court judge. And I took her place in 92, and then, of course, I was sworn into the full four-year term in the 1993 session. Well, clearly you're not sick of Topeka, not sick of the State House yet. Uh, why seek another term? Well, I have enjoyed my service. I work very hard for the people that I represent. Uh, I think that's... Uh, a reflection of, uh, you know, having been in this long and having been reelected so many times, I think it's a reflection of my record and my public service. Um, I was a school teacher up until three years ago, so I've worked in the classroom. Uh, you might say I've worked in the schoolhouse and the state house, <laughs> and I think I've served the community very well. And I want to continue, now that I've retired from being in the classroom for 43 years, I want to continue my uh, community service uh, by uh, continuing uh, my service in the state Senate. Um, There are a lot of constituents these days that have some real challenges facing them, obviously with the global pandemic that we are experiencing. And so there will be things in the 2020, 21 session that we'll have to address, um, you know, given that we'll have a, a pretty big budget shortfall uh, due to the pandemic. And obviously, we've we got to get people, uh, employees back to work and employers need to keep their job, you know, their businesses open. Your opponent says that, you know, it's time for new blood in the district. How is your experience an asset uh, to 
you're you're representing the constituents of the 19th Senate District. Well, the last several opponents I have had have said the same thing. They think it's time for a change. Uh, what hasn't changed is my commitment to my constituents. Um, I continue to serve them to the best of my ability. Um, I've always said that each time I run, I suppose my greatest liability is that I have been in office for such a long time. But I think it's an asset from the standpoint that I have the institutional memory and knowledge of issues gone gone by. And uh, quite often we debate many of the same issues each session. And I'm looked upon as somewhat of a historian when it comes to school finance, uh, transportation, public safety. And so I can add to the debate in the floor of the Senate and make sure that, uh, you know, ordinary people, working class people and those that live on fixed incomes have a strong voice in the Senate. Well, you mentioned the issues. Why don't we dive in a little bit to, to some of those? And I think the thing that's most pressing and most Kansans' mind is the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, how would you grade the state's response and what are areas of improvement, especially relating to helping businesses getting back up and running and uh, ensuring the public ha- uh, public health and safety of residents? You know, what areas in the session are you guys going to be focused on if you're reelected? Well, I think the response initially was very good. I think Governor Kelly had demonstrated some real leadership throughout uh, this crisis. And in my opinion, I believe everything was going well to combat COVID-19 in Kansas so long as she remained in charge. The, our response, I think, turned for the worse uh, when the Republican leadership began restricting her ability to do her job. Uh, we are already on a long road to recovery. Uh, we went through eight years of reckless economic policies, quite frankly, under Sam Brownback. His tax cuts were a disaster to the state's general fund. Uh, we repealed those tax cuts in uh, 2017, and um, we were on the road to recovery. This pandemic has been a setback, obviously, for that. Uh, But I do believe that um, we have to continue supporting uh, the extensions of the emergency declarations that she issued as needed to ensure federal funding continues in our state. I have supported the allocation of state and federal dollars for nursing homes, for small businesses, and obviously for unemployed Kansans who were unemployed uh, due to no fault of their own during the pandemic. Uh, I also believe that we uh, will be facing a budget crisis in 2021, and I'm hopeful there's some movement at the federal level um, that they reach some uh, bipartisan compromise to, uh, uh, so far, the CARES money we've gotten, some $1.25 billion, has only been to respond to the pandemic at the uh, city, county, and state level. Uh, I'm hopeful that they'll be able to pass a bill that will backfill uh, money that we need to fill the hole in our budget. And as I said, there is some movement. They uh, will possibly come up with a bipartisan compromise. I I read in today's paper, I believe the figure is 
uh, $436 billion that would go back to state governments in order to help them uh, with the, and, and every state faces a budget crisis because of the pandemic. Uh, I think this money would go a long way towards helping us uh, next session with the shortfall that we'll be faced with. Suppose that money doesn't come. Relying on Washington is always tough. <laughs> how how should the state look to fill those holes? Because it's it's unprecedented. I think the size of the the shortfall that they're that we're going to be facing. Well, what the governor has come up with for uh, fiscal year 2021 is a um, allotment plan, general fund allotment plan. Um, 266 million. Uh, would be delaying uh, payments from the the loan payment to the uh, pooled money investment uh, board, uh, a an additional pooled money investment board loan, uh, delaying uh, transfers to the state water plan, and uh, that's that's uh, uh, those items are uh, requ- legislative approval is required for those items. That'd be two hundred and sixty six million. And then she has just made some basic cuts in the general fund budget, uh, up to about three hundred and seventy-five million. And then you've got uh, another um, group of um, legislative actions that would need to take take place. Uh, we'd have to uh, do a moratorium on the judicial branch death and disability fund. Uh, we would do a overall. A moratorium on death and disability for the legislative branch, and then there would be money that would have to pass the legislature uh, that would cut about $42 million from the uh, evidence-based juvenile justice program. So her total allotment plan is $704 million, um, $374 of which, $374 million of which she can do on her own. And then the remaining amount would have to be done by the uh, approval of the legislature next session. So, you know, I I believe she's been very smart to get out in front of this and propose these allotments. And uh, and then we'll have to uh, do the heavy lifting when we come back into session this next year. Right. And that will mean some hard choices. Are there areas that you believe the state cannot afford to cut in that budget? Well, uh, public safety is one area where we can't afford to cut. Uh, obviously, education, both uh, preschool, uh, well, in three areas, preschool, K-12, and higher education, I think we should um, avoid cutting. And then uh, we passed a 10-year comprehensive transportation plan for KDOT, Kansas Department of Transportation. I think it's very important that we have that money f- to create jobs and um, improve our infrastructure, our roads, our highways, and our bridges. Um, the best job-creating program that we can have is to uh, keep intact the 10-year transportation plan. We had it previously under um, Governor Brownback's administration, but unfortunately um, KDOT became what we commonly refer to as the bank of KDOT, because the governor raided the highway fund by $2.5 billion in order to pay for his income tax cuts. Uh, we can't afford to do that either. And and then, of course, we've got the whole social service safety net uh, for, um, you know, um, 
people who uh, live in nursing homes and uh, for uh, young children. And uh, I think it's important that we uh, keep those programs intact as well. So I think this allotment proposal that she's put forward is a good start to respond. But here again, I am uh, uh, hopeful that the uh, Fed, federal government, the Congress, and the president can reach a bipartisan uh, compromise at the federal level in order to give states the money they need to backfill the budget shortfalls that we will be facing. And one potential answer that may be considered is looking for new revenue generators, uh, two that are often talked about, medical marijuana, sports betting, maybe some others out there. You know, Should those avenues also be looked at? We'll take maybe medical marijuana as probably the most talked about, well-known. Is that something the state should be considering next session? I believe it is. I support allowing Kansans safe and legal access to medical marijuana. Uh, it's been proven to... Uh, help with pain management without the risk of addiction uh, that we've seen with prescription opioids. And it also treats other medical conditions such as PTSD and veterans. And the public opinion polls show that the people of Kansas are ready for it. Some 70% of all Kansans are in favor of legalizing medical marijuana. So I definitely feel like that that's a, an option not only a health care option, but a uh, budget revenue-producing uh, option that we should consider. Taking a step back a little bit, um, going back to kind of what we were talking about earlier, obviously the state has kind of decided where they want most of our Allotment and CARES Act monies to go. The SPARC task force is taking care of a lot of that. And it's unclear uh, whether there will be more money forthcoming if you're a business owner in the 19th Senate District, you know maybe you got a, a PPP loan, maybe you got some aid initially, but you're trying to get back up off the ground, uh, get up up the mat, so to speak, and, and get back to where things were. You know what are you uh, and what do you think should be done? You know, moving beyond uh, federal and state aid to, to help those businesses, uh, you know, recover and and get back open for business? Well, I think we've done uh, quite a bit already. Um, and I know that it's been frustrating for small businesses who were forced to uh, close their doors for a period of time. I think the governor has attempted to balance health concerns with economic concerns. I think she's done that very well. Um, and it hasn't been easy, I know, for small businesses when you mentioned the PPP program, for example, I know that my opponent in this election has actually utilized that program um, for his small business. And uh, I do support small businesses. I think what we need to do is to make sure uh, this next session that we uh, give them the economic certainty uh, by balancing our budget to make sure that we don't have to raise taxes on them. That'd be the last thing that I think we should do is raise their taxes. Um, and we need to broaden our tax base, I think, from the standpoint of looking at various exemptions um, that exist uh, that perhaps have uh, worn out their usefulness. I'd be open to that as well. 
but I am uh, strongly in support of helping our small businesses recover from their economic losses due to the pandemic, and I will work very hard to make sure that we address that issue in this next session. Is there a situation that you can envision where it would make sense if the governor were to say, we need to take a look at shutting businesses down again, or is that something that just is a non-starter? I don't know as it will be necessary to do that, and I certainly would hope that we wouldn't do that. I hope the governor wouldn't take that step. Uh, We need to keep business, particularly small businesses, open, and we need to keep people working uh, in this environment. Uh, But here again, there's a balance between making sure that people are safe and healthy and um, they're able to earn a living. Um, So, you know, I would be um, uh, very much opposed to closing businesses down Uh, again. It was unfortunate we had to do it in the first place, but uh, we need to keep the economy moving. Shifting gears a little bit, maybe one of the hottest topics in Topeka, at least the last couple of sessions, has been Medicaid expansion. Um, I kind of know the answer to this already, but where do you fall on that question? Well, I wouldn't refer to it as the last couple of years. It's been almost a decade we've had Fair this enough. debate in Kansas. Every state around us, Nebraska, Missouri, Oklahoma, and Colorado, have expanded Medicaid. We are a desert when it comes to this issue. We're isolated. Uh, It's been a political football, quite frankly, because Republicans were afraid of their own base to think that they were somehow going to be supporting Obamacare. I think that's part of their trepidation about the issue. Uh, In the 2019 session, I made a motion to bring a Medicaid expansion bill out of committee, out of the Senate Public Health and Welfare Committee, I needed 24 votes to get the bill out, and I failed by one vote and got 23. We have yet to even debate the issue on the floor of the Senate. Um, Last year, on one particular meeting in the uh, committee, I stood in for uh, Barbara Boyer. She was unable to attend that meeting. Of course, we know she's running for the U.S. Senate And I actually made a motion to bring the Republican bill out of committee, and they refused to even bring their own bill out of committee for floor debate. We thought we were going to make some progress when Governor Kelly forged a bipartisan compromise with the majority leader, Senator Denning. It was Senate Bill 252. Uh, But here again, that bill was never acted upon and never debated on the Senate floor. I think it is a disgrace that we can't even get a debate, let people's voices be heard on this issue. We know what's at stake. We have 150,000 uninsured Kansans in this state uh, who need health insurance, and we need to cover their pre-existing conditions. Um, I think now the count is up to at least 36 states that have expanded Medicaid. It may be more than that. And the other thing that is at stake is rural hospitals are in jeopardy of closing their doors. So for rural legislators, particularly rural Republican legislators, they ought to be first in line in terms of supporting Medicaid expansion. So I will uh, do everything I can in the 2021 session to get Medicaid expansion to the Senate floor to have the debate and to pass the bill. 
fortunately, the House had the numbers this last year, and they were able to, get, you know, send a bill out of the House. But um, it's it makes good sense. We are sending uh, Kansas tax dollars to other states, basically, and I think the Kansas Hospital Association has said that we have sp- we have sent um, four billion dollars basically to other states because we have refused to um, pass Medicaid expansion. It's not only the right thing to do, it's the moral thing to do, um, you know, in terms of uh, addressing the needs of uninsured people. This is clearly an important issue to you, and and you mentioned there was agreement with the governor and the majority leader last session. The majority leader is obviously retiring and you know the the his caucus form will be someone else's caucus i guess uh, in january seems set to change as well how are you going to work to kind of forge compromise maybe with a potentially even more conservative republican caucus on on the issue well it's going to be very difficult and i think a lot of it depends on the results of the november 3rd election if we can um you know elect more democrats quite frankly, uh, to the Senate. Um, I know the moderate Republicans in the primary lost, you know, several seats, I think uh, as many as six. But if we can uh, elect Democrats in those seats and other seats, uh, we very likely could have the numbers uh, to bring a bill to the floor and to be able to vote on it. Um you know, not to debate an issue of, of this importance, I think, is a is a real travesty for the people. Uh, the huge, overwhelming majority in Kansas, of uh, people of Kansas, support the issue. And we ought to at least uh, give them the opportunity to have their voice heard on the floor of the Senate. I will certainly uh, try to provide a strong voice in favor of this issue because its time has come, it's overdue, and it's absolutely imperative that we are able to cover the uninsured Kansans um, in this state who, during a pandemic of all times, really need the health care coverage. Shifting gears once again, uh, it is a dramatic understatement probably to say that the nation has been deep in conversations about race specifically race and policing uh, after the the killing of George Floyd earlier this summer. Kansas has not been immune to that. Um, We've seen Black Lives Matter protests here in Topeka, elsewhere in the state. You know, starting off, do you believe that Black Lives Matter and what is the state's role in uh, addressing issues where people of color feel that police officers are not listening to them? Well, at the state level, I have a proven track record of supporting law enforcement agencies, whether it be the Kansas Highway Patrol, the Kansas Bureau of Investigation, uh, or the Capitol Police here in this building. Um, I have a very strong record of supporting law enforcement. In the past, I've been endorsed by the Fraternal Order of the Police. Um, But when you talk about uh, police issues, it's, they're local in nature. And I think that the dialogue that we've had here in Topeka has been very good. Um, I really commend our police chief. 
here, um, Chief Cochran, who I think has done an extraordinary job of opening up the lines of communications with everybody in the community. I don't think we should be fighting each other. I think we should be looking for ways to coalesce together and support uh, Black Lives Matter and support the police because they all matter in terms of the job that they do. Um, you know, during the Sam Brownback administration, because of his failed tax uh, experiment, we did jeopardize public safety. We had an under, understaffed Kansas Highway Patrol. We had correction officers who were underpaid and working dangerously long hours. And we, quite frankly, just can't go back to that. We've got to be sure that we, um, you know, support our law enforcement uh, one of the accusations in this campaign that's been made against some of our candidates is that we somehow support defunding the police, which is absolutely false. I would never support defunding the police, and I don't have a vote over the Topeka Police Department's budget. That's a local budget, and I believe local law enforcement budgets should be determined by our local elected officials. So I would never interfere with, um, you know, how the, that's uh, funded. Uh, and I also believe that <clears throat> some of the issues that the p police have to deal with on a daily basis could be helped with additional investments that we would make in community mental health services because mental health uh, is, a, is a huge issue on a local level. And, of course, that's another reason why I support expanding Medicaid. Here in Topeka, you know, have there's been protests do you think black lives matter activists in topeka specifically focusing on the local police department have reason to maybe question uh the treatment that they've received and uh, a right to to seek reforms within the department i do um i do feel that there have been some incidents that were questionable uh, but I also believe that that's a matter that needs to be worked out by Black Lives Matter and the Topeka Police Department uh, with the help of the city council and our local elected officials. I think there's plenty of room for compromise, um, and I think we'd be our community would be much better served if we don't shout at each other, but if we talk to one another in a, in a civil way. And circling back, you touched on this a little bit, but just because we've been asking everyone, do you believe Black Lives Matter? I think as an organization, their message is very important. Um, and I think we should listen to them as well as listen to uh, the, f the people who uh, back the blue. Uh, both, both messages are important, and we should be listening to each other as opposed to um, criticizing each other. As far as a statement, though, do you agree with with the statement "Black Lives Matter"? I do. Yeah. Okay. Just you you touched on that a little bit, but sure. wanted to wanted to come back to it. And then uh, just kind of one more question in this arena: there have not been as many discussions about criminal justice reform and uh, at the state level. You know, do you believe that? we should be taking a closer look at measures that would decrease the state's prison population. Well, you know, um, one of the issues that I have talked to our own Corrections Secretary, Jeff Zamuda, about is what was done in Oklahoma. Um, Oklahoma, the governor of Oklahoma, who is a conservative Republican, 
decided to grant pardons for nonviolent offenders, and Oklahoma voters actually voted to um, make uh, certain felony drug possession and uh, property crimes misdemeanors. Uh, and people that are convicted of those crimes before the law uh, change didn't reap the benefits until now. And in 2019, the Oklahoma legislature decided to give those prisoners who didn't qualify a chance to get their sentences commuted to be released early. And nearly 500 people were released. And so in my conversation with Secretary Zamuda, I said Kansas should be, you know, looking at the what was done in Oklahoma and uh, follow their example. Um, and then, you know, the when you talk about criminal justice reform, I spent 30 years at a special purpose school for juvenile offenders. It was called Capital City High School, which is located on the grounds of the Topeka State State Hospital. My experience there was I was in the lockdown part of our building. We had a caseload of 16 juvenile offenders who came to us uh, each day for educational services. And I had a chance to really listen to their life stories and what we needed to do to try to help them. It, it all comes down to budget priorities, in my opinion. Uh, tell people that we spend about $30 a day to uh, educate a student in our K-12 system when at the same time we spend uh, $70 a day to house, feed, clothe, and in some cases educate a prisoner or a, a convict in the Lansing Penitentiary. You know, as taxpayers, where do you want to invest your money? That's what I always ask, and I would just assume, you know, don't get me wrong, I mean, we have to lock up dangerous people in, in prison, adults that, you know, have committed um, criminal acts, but we also want to invest in our kids, particularly at an early age. I've always said that one of the best programs ever passed by the federal Congress was the Head Start program. That was done done during the Lyndon Johnson administration. So we want to give our our uh, children and our uh, juvenile uh, juveniles in Kansas a good head start, make them productive citizens to make sure that they, you know, don't go to prison. That's the way I've always looked at it. That's my priority. That's what I'm all about in terms of talking about, uh, you know, making sure that our schools are adequately and fairly funded. And then wrapping up, just we there are a lot of issues out there. Uh, we talked about a few of them. Are there any key planks of your campaign or a couple key planks that we didn't talk about that you think are important uh, issues facing Kansans that they should uh, know your, your opinion on? Well, in 2019, I was uh, involved direct, directly involved in the negotiations on a um, K-12 uh, school finance plan that passed. It was uh, overwhelmingly passed with a bipartisan majority, Republicans and Democrats, and for the first time in almost a decade, the Supreme Court found it to be constitutional. So as opposed to years and years of litigation, we're now past that, fortunately. I have to commend Governor Kelly for the leadership she provided in that. And so one of the things I want to be sure we do is to maintain our commitment to K-12 education, make sure our schools 
our urban, suburban, and rural schools are adequately and fairly funded. Unfortunately, the legislature is notoriously uh, is notorious in not keeping their commitment. That's why we've got to um, make sure that uh, you know we have adequate money in the general fund so we can continue the uh, school finance plan that we passed. Uh, so that would be one area that I would definitely prioritize. And then I hope we can continue our commitment to the 10-year transportation program that we passed because that creates thousands of new jobs uh, for uh, people across the state. Um, under Brownback's administration, we had too many Kansas contractors that were leaving the state in order to find work. And we've been able to bring them back home to the state under this transportation plan that we passed. So I think I definitely would prioritize that as well. And then, of course, not to sound like a broken record here, Medicaid expansion would be another top priority for me. Well, Senator, I think that's about all the time we have, but appreciate you for stopping by on the election podcast. Thank you. listening to this episode. If you're looking for more, you can support local journalism by subscribing to cgonline.com, reading our articles, and following the latest news on our social media platforms. You can also find more podcasts like this one in the Apple Podcasts app, on Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.